Hello everybody and welcome to the Happy Dystopian. Uh, welcome also to Ferdi, welcome back. Thank you, thank you and uh, welcome to everyone watching. Uh, the last time, uh, I think it was already this year. I believe so, but... Uh, but still it was quite a long uh, time ago. Yeah. I've been busy with a lot of uh, things. It's uh, also been a rough year so far, so uh, lots of things to discuss again. A rough year in terms of... Uh, well, not for me personally, I have to, uh, you know, add, but uh, for the stream to discuss, there's so much. So uh, in, in that sense, uh, I think it's been rough. Yeah, a lot has happened. Um, so I call this one uh, season two. So we're starting after a bit of a break again with uh, the podcast this time, also audio and video. With video. With video. <laughs> And I call this one uh, episode zero because it should be at uh, the start of uh, yeah, a new bigger dawn. Uh, new dawn, yeah. uh, bigger, uh, bigger new season. New beginnings, great resets. Great resets? <laughs> yeah, we're uh, episode zero, right? Uh, ah, yeah, yeah. This is the great reset of uh, the happy dystopia. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So let's uh, let's continue. So we have a few topics for uh, for today. So as I mentioned, it's uh, episode zero. I would like to talk a little bit about today's election in uh, in France. So uh, it's going to take place uh, this yeah today and right this now. evening. Right now, it's uh, happening uh, as we speak. Go out and vote. <laughs> Go out and vote if you uh, are eligible uh, to. Uh, we're going to talk uh, a bit about uh, yeah the whole uh, war uh, situation that's going on here in uh, in Europe. I'm going to talk about a new fiscal framework proposed by the Dutch and uh, Spanish governments. And then also how that fits into the whole monetary thing, which has been uh, yeah, a big topic uh, every time for us and uh, again uh, today. So uh, let's continue. Who will win? Well, I don't think it's a good idea to make predictions because by the time people see this, <laughs> they, yeah. they probably already know what uh, what happened. They'll suspect but, uh, that uh, we checked the results probably. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but uh, I did watch the big debate uh, this week. Right. I was a bit, uh, yeah, how to put it, uh, annoyed that uh, there wasn't even a subtitled version available. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we are here in the Netherlands and uh, when there's US elections, all those debates are uh, live streamed with uh, subtitles and there are experts being invited in the middle of the night to discuss it. And then if it comes to France, yeah, there's no, nothing going on. No energy. Uh, exactly. And that's... That's a bit of a problem, I think, but uh, that we do know a lot about the U.S., but yeah, then something that is happening in France, which is, I so think, close. for us, far yeah. more important. <laughs> yeah, but I think uh, this election and the entire uh, presidential, uh, you know, election system in France is such a, yeah, a kind of a joke in these situations where there's one less popular candidate, such as Le Pen. Mm. So uh, who will win Macron? Well... I think it's obvious. I think everyone is thinking it. Uh, and unlike in the US, for instance, where Donald Trump won, it's not so easy for Le Pen to win uh, here. Uh, so I think that's also why uh, people don't have a lot of attention for it, because they know that the chance that she turns out uh, the victor is ne negligible, I guess. Yeah, well, I, I think uh, right now in the polls, uh, Macron is widening his lead. But uh, a few weeks ago, they were yeah, like neck to neck. Macron had a lead of a few percent, which is in the margin of error. And that was polling conducted based on the second round. You know? Yeah, it's true. Um, so I don't think she has no shot at all. But um, yeah, so as I as I told you before, I watched the debate in uh, French, which was uh, took quite a lot of energy. So I didn't watch the whole thing. 
Um, but I think what Macron really convincingly did was question uh, Marine Le Pen's economic program. And her economic program, it's, uh, yeah, it's very irresponsible. Yeah, we've been, we've been talking before about uh, the extreme spending within the Eurozone. And uh, under Le Pen government, it will get far worse. Yeah, it's so, just na national spending instead of uh, spending exactly. by the EU. So she has the idea that uh, the income tax will only start when you're 30 or older. So younger people will pay no income tax. I'm all for it. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm against it's it. Not so much, right? Not so much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, but if you if you uh, keep in mind that many French people pay about half of their uh, gross income in taxes, I think it's pretty much the similar to to what it is here. And then after you have your birthday, you lose half of your income. It, it just it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, it would make that birthday uh, quite a nightmare to look forward to. Uh. Exactly. And then uh, the retirement age should be 60. So there's only 30 years <laughs> where you're going to pay to build up your entire tax base. Um, so one thing that she mentioned that I did find interesting was about the energy market. Uh, so the energy in France is uh, produced very cheaply, but then it gets onto the European market uh, where it becomes uh, yeah, part of the European market and has a, a lot higher um, uh, market value. And then Marine was saying, okay, but that benefits the people who produce the energy, but not necessarily the businesses and people who consume the energy. So she wants to be like sort of independent in the energy sphere of, uh, of Europe. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was uh, that was interesting, but uh, yeah, let's see what happens. On the one hand, uh, I would like Marine to win because it would shake up the entire European situation. On the other hand, mainly economically, uh, yeah, it will not be uh, <laughs> the best uh, idea. Yeah, I th I think that that's uh, it would be uh, like 2016, but even more surprising, right? If she pulled it off right now. And, and if she had any chance, it would be interesting to see uh, what kind of real proposal she would do politically in the sense that, well, no income tax. That's so weird uh, to cut it off uh, at 30 years. Uh, but there's something to say for a lower income tax for, you know, people starting their career. So uh, it, it's just the sentiment she's trying to uh, bring up, I think. But uh, unfortunately, I don't think she has a chance. And I don't think uh, that... Uh, uh, you know, Macron has any uh, fear of losing in this. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I mean, I think the sentiment is good eh, to make uh, uh, to increase purchasing power for younger people specifically. But uh, yeah, this is probably not the way to go. So, uh, but let's see. It's going to be exciting tonight. Right. Then the next topic is uh, something that you uh, suggested we uh, introduce. So it's the whole uh, conflict. Uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, of course, uh, everybody is, is aware. Right. Uh, here you see uh, Putin with his uh, Minister of uh, Defense. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah looking uh, very uh, serious. Very powerful, uh, right? Very powerful, yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's uh, interesting, not necessarily what the situation in the war uh, in Ukraine is right now, because it's looking uh, to become a stalemate or uh, maybe... Uh, Russia occupies some places in the east and uh, Ukraine takes control of the rest of uh, Ukraine again. Uh, but but uh, that's a different matter. I think the consequences, because it's now been two months uh, since the invasion, almost to the day, uh, have been uh, 
well, quite great, not only on the energy market, but also on the amount of uncertainty in, uh, you know, all kinds of industries. I think we've seen uh, in the past two years in COVID, we've seen a lot of uh, shifts from spending from the service sector to uh, physical goods. As yeah, well. exactly. Yeah. Because the service sector was shut down because of COVID. Uh, so everybody wanted to buy uh, gardening equipment or uh, fitness equipment for at home. So a lot of physical goods spending. Uh, and I think what we're seeing now is kind of like the breakaway of one block, Russia and China, further and further away from like the Western trade centers and the Western trade activity, uh, which is very interesting to see on the markets because all the markets for uh, material goods and, and uh, resources are skyrocketing. Everyone is thinking about where do I get my next uh, thousand megatons of steel mm. uh, in this economy, right? Because it's also uncertain. At the same time, uh, everything is reopening again in COVID of uh, after COVID times now. So uh, we uh, have a lot of uh, services that are looking to uh, make back all the profits that they lost. Uh, and on the other hand, we have uh, well these supply chains that are totally uh, disrupted again by Russia and their invasion of Ukraine and uh, Western actions against it. So what I'm wondering, and I'm I'm wondering what you think about it is uh, we've seen the shift of spending from service to physical, a lot of demand for physical goods. Now mm -hmm. there's huge inflation in physical goods. Uh, and now uh, maybe we're going to see uh, a shift again back to the service industry um, of a lot of spending in this tight labor market right now. Uh, it's, it's going to wreck the economy, I think because physical goods are getting uh, so expensive, people are no longer considering them, and uh, the service industry just isn't ready yet. Uh, so I think the uh, war in Russia and our actions to condemn it have been, uh, well, impactful in a way that's not really considered yet in the news, in the way that people are going to put their money in different things again, because there's again such a shock to the system. Yeah, I think we have yet to see the, the full impact, uh, absolutely. Uh, you see in the service industry that a lot of businesses are still struggling. And now mainly with uh, getting the, the labor uh, to perform those services. So there have been news uh, articles about uh, restaurants, for instance, only being open a few days a week because they can't find the staff yeah. uh, to be open uh, week, week round. So there, there's a lot of bottlenecks appearing at the different spots in the, uh, right. in the economy. What I found interesting, what you said was that uh, Russia was decoupled from the Western economic system, but then also China. Is there already something taking place in, in the relationship between China and the West? Well, I think uh, there's been a number of moves uh, also in the financial system with, uh, you know, new frameworks being adopted to introduce like a petro one and Israel uh, buying lots of Chinese foreign reserve, uh, those kind of signs that uh, China understand it's being pressured so hard right now by the US to stay neutral. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think it's, it's, it's showing uh, by those actions what side it, it's taken in that way. Uh, so China is of course not as decoupled as Russia and they're, they're not subject to sanctions. Uh, but for the future development, I think it's definitely visible that they're drifting apart. Yeah, I think China is trying to walk a tightrope, you know, not giving yeah, the West everything definitely. they want, but also trying to, to engage with, uh, with both sides. And uh, 
yeah, I think for now that's a good uh, that's a good way to handle. But let's see how it turns out. For me, the big question is this decoupling. In uh, in how far is that going to be an exception, and in how far is that going to be like a, the new normal? So I think what what the the best case scenario would have been would that the, that Russia already uh, would have backed down, you know, saying okay these sanctions are too uh, heavy, we're going to back down and we want to get back into the club. Yeah. As of yet, it has not uh, happened. So the the question is. Are we going to use these measures again somewhere else, on China, on uh, Iran, or, or on other powers? And also, how are actors going to react to the possibility that this could take place? Right, yeah. Well, I think part of the answer is uh, we were always most afraid of what would happen if we decoupled from Russia. And now that's ha happening, or at least our politicians, because it's now becoming summer, they can be arrogant all summer. Uh, ah, saying the that gas, uh, natural gas is not right. as necessary as... Uh, yeah, we're not going to import gas again uh, or oil or we're going to look for different sources. But then when the winter comes, they'll sing a different tune, of course. Uh, but that kind of decoupling, if we can survive that, I think you make a good point that internationally all the powers will have to review their uh, amount of redundancy in the world economy. Uh, because a lot of them will turn out to not be as necessary for the st for a stable uh, economy in the West as was as expected before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But of course, that is implying that we're not going to have a, an imploding economy in the coming two years because that seems to be happening. Well, the winter is a long, uh, is yeah. quite some months away. Eh? Yeah. And I think Russia is also really struggling. So uh, it, it is true. They Russia might still back down in, in a couple of months. Eh? We don't. We don't. Yeah, know that that's yet. true. It's it's really a, a Mexican, uh, you know, stare down, standoff where where uh, everyone's just holding their breath. Who blinks first? Who eh? blinks first? And of course, uh, if in the next winter we're not buying Russian gas at their usual prices, Russia will also have no money anymore. So it's. Uh, going to be interesting to see how to uh, hold their breath the longest. So you're talking about the uh, imploding economy. What do you mean by that uh, exactly? Well, I mean, uh, the 2022 update has uh, been installed and uh, inflation is uh, running loose. Uh, shit has hit the fan truly, but uh, that's that's according to the official uh, inflation number still. Yeah. Uh, a few days ago, there was a, a statistic on the production price inflation uh, in Germany in uh, the March of this year. It was 30% mm. compared to a year earlier. And that's uh, the, the, the time before that, that happened was 1945, I think. Mm. So uh, the inflation that's being recorded right now in the first few months is still just a sign of what's coming, or yeah, at absolutely. least what's happening under the surface. Um, and uh, well, a lot of people are just not going to be able to live uh, in the, at, with the same amount of welfare anymore uh, that they did have before. Uh, yeah, but I think there are still place. multiple options. Eh? So the one case is there's going to be an economic crash because there is going to be a clampdown on the easy money. But I think if there's no clampdown on the easy money, then the inflation can just continue. And it can continue for multiple years. It's not something that is just... Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah but I think the, the, the problem with that is that if we do clamp down, um, there's going to be so many bankruptcies 
because we've we've upheld uh, unhealthy businesses so long yeah, with yeah, this yeah. money. So there's there's two two different ways out. But do yeah, you do you, you do you which one do you think is the most likely? The most likely to happen yes. or the most healthy? <laughs> well, both perhaps. I, don't know. I think the most likely is to happen is. Um, that it's going to sizzle out. There's not going to be a clampdown like the US is trying right now. And uh, I think it's working in the US to a certain extent. But uh, in the most recent report by the European Central Bank, they made no mention towards rapidly uh, raising the interest rates or whatever. They emphasized uh, Russia and Russia's role in raising the prices and in the need for uh, financial easiness because otherwise they could not take such a shock. So it looks like they're not going to uh, do shock and awe. Okay, so that means we could be walking around with wheelbarrows of cash again. uh, Yeah, this time digitally. Yeah, (laughs) cashless society, here we come, right? Uh, And and it better because I don't have a bag that big for what's coming. No, I mean, that's a realistic scenario now. People are spooked with 10% inflation and that's inflation that's already happened, right? history and it's now the price you pay uh, but if that continues for two or three years can you imagine yeah it's uh, okay it's well. going to be real social unrest i think the only reason that there's no uh, social unrest yet is because the powers that be have so uh, well beautifully almost tied the higher prices with putin's invasion of ukraine mm, that yeah. people have some sort of tolerance for it because they think like oh it's like an international military uh, uh, event and confrontation so these are times of war you know as the slide also uh, indicates yeah but even so i think uh, yeah you still uh, know what's going on in your own wallet and uh, with your own prices of the energy and the, the food so i don't know it could help a bit but uh, yeah i'm sure the discontent is uh, growing every day yeah with uh, especially the poor uh, yeah, so let's see, perhaps Marie Le Pen does have a chance. Yeah. Well, we'll see about that. <laughs> so on to the new topic. Uh, I wrote an article on uh, fireofeurope.com about a new fiscal proposal uh, for the Eurozone. Uh, so just to recap that really uh, quickly, there used to be uh, a system in place in which uh, governments were not allowed to uh, run large deficits. Uh, Then in the uh, wake of the COVID pandemic, uh, pretty much all governments uh, stopped following those uh, those rules. Uh, So now... uh, With permission. With permission. So now in the picture you see the finance ministers of uh, Spain and uh, the Netherlands who jointly proposed a new framework in which basically countries can decide on their own goals and their own rules. rules. Well, as I put it in that article, I think it has about the value as a, of a snowflake in a hot tub. I don't think this proposal makes any, any sense. sense, but I'm curious to know what you think about it. Well, I think uh, I have a bit of a double opinion because uh, the, the ideas that are being proposed themselves, I don't really agree with. On the other hand, I am positive towards the fact that at least they are talking about fiscal uh, uh, you know, stability again, and a framework that's supposed to work for all the Euro member states. The problem is uh, that the framework is entirely based on, you know, the paradigm of we have to spend on uh, these transitions to uh, the green uh, green economy and the digital economy. Yeah. So it's just a, a blank check again. 
for these uh, uh, states and ministers to to uh, spend millions and millions over budget and just say, well, it's for the green transition, so it turns out okay in the medium and long term. It's just fantasy money again, right? So uh, we're gonna we're gonna earn it back because the earth is not gonna die because we put down a thousand windmills here. So it's always profitable if you start looking at that. And I think that's the dangerous part of such a framework. And it's also, again, uh, part of the EU that's kind of overreaching, right? Using like the EU budgetary means uh, to force these ideas of the green transition and the digital transition. It's no longer democratic whether that's going to happen or not. It's just set in stone now. Yeah, also I think it's very interesting that the EU still has like a, a very small footprint in terms of uh, civil servants and they're not really providing that many services. So instead of providing services, they have a big pot of money, a pot of gold that they are yeah. going to put into the economy and they're going to monitor those funds. But that is, I think, in terms of political science, like a really new idea on how how a government should should function, yeah? Yeah, but but it's well it's an idea idea we've seen of course because you know uh, governments always know we're going to invest in this or that mm -hmm. uh, in order to either increase welfare or uh, uh, increase the income or uh, decrease crime or whatever. And here they're doing exactly the same, only they're just emphasizing those two transitions we have to take together as the EU. Mm -hmm. But it's just a limitless uh, well yeah. uh, where you can just keep throwing money in. Yeah. And you can always say, well, because it's not 0 0.5 degrees hotter in uh, 200 years, those people will have a chance of living. Yeah, but <laughs> so now it's profitable. Yeah. Of course, it's all impossible to measure and highly dependent on what the rest of the world uh, yeah, is, going to do. <laughs> is going to do. But uh, yeah, I think traditionally a government just has to provide services to the people, you know, like education, healthcare, security. And the EU is in that sense, not a traditional government, which is providing services. Although the areas where they are providing services, like in these trade deals and uh, excuse me, and in the antitrust uh, interventions, I think they're doing quite well. Yeah, definitely. So they have their specialties uh, in that case. Absolutely. So uh, interesting. So this is the spending side. And then uh, next we're going to look a bit at the borrowing side. Um, so Ferdi, you suggested that I put this uh, graph uh, in, uh, in the presentation. Uh, yeah, I think it's a really interesting uh, chart because of two uh, reasons. Uh, the first is, uh, well, you can see how the past two years have treated uh, the, the different uh, amounts of income, uh, at least in the US. These are numbers from America. As we can see in the past two years, the top 1% has taken uh, such a huge amount of wealth extra that uh, no uh, previous record would ever uh, have been that high, as you can see. Uh, the reason why it's so interesting is that at the same time, of course, the Federal Reserve opened the money uh, printer to everyone, but especially to people with a lot of assets. So what we're seeing here is uh, the consequence of what we also just discussed. Uh, political institution uh, messing with the economy and with the money supply. Uh, and these are the effects. They're just uh, enriching the wealthy, as it were. A dramatic chart on itself but i think it takes a lot of more meaning if you also uh, look at the inflation chart besides this and then you can see um, 
who is going to be hurt by inflation, who has reaped the fruits of the money printing, and who is going to reap all the horror. Yeah, so we're going to get back to this one in a second. But then, uh, yeah, we also have here uh, a chart with the total assets of the Federal Reserve, where you also see that yeah, their balance sheet has really uh, yeah, <laughs> expanded. Yeah, they've uh, stacked on corporate debt. And uh, that uh, meant that uh, corporate stocks have uh, risen. So uh, people that were foolish enough to buy corporate stocks uh, before an uh, economic crash, thinking that it might hurt the economy, they were the real fools uh, because, because uh, of this kind of money printing. Yeah, you say the, the people who sold their shares because they thought it yeah, was going to go down. Yeah, you know, it's a pandemic. There's supposed to be extra bankruptcies and decreased economic growth. But of course, the Federal Reserve and other central banks thought, no, we know a trick. Uh, we can just insert this money into the economy and then everything's fine. Yeah, exactly. So then if you go back to that original graph, eh, you have here the different uh, strata of society pretty much. And right. then in the red, we have the top 1%. And what's interesting, if you look uh, back to uh, the year 2000, when we were uh, kids and we were, uh, if then you were talking about a millionaire, you know, that person had uh, a wealth of about 12, 12 million uh, USD. And then that same person right now would have 36, right. <laughs> 36 million. And then uh, what uh, Wolf, uh, Wolf Street here says that the truly rich are uh, not shown separately. So there are, of course, people who are far more wealthy yeah, with uh, billions. Of course. But uh, yeah, it's very hard to, uh, to get accurate data on those people, I think. Uh, I mean, uh, they will try to uh, be uh, hiding their uh, wealth. Uh, yeah, it's, it's difficult to calculate probably. And then you see the green and the purple ones, is, which is, uh, yeah, most of, uh, most of us, 90% uh, has been sort of stable. And then there's the yellow group, that's the top 10%, and they have also profited quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, of course, relatively uh, to the bottom uh, classes, they have profited. But, yeah, they've uh, almost doubled, you know, that's also... They have, they have. But the, the thing is, you know, uh, even at the very lower charts, they can have doubled, but it just doesn't matter uh, because in relative terms, the top 1% has so much more money. The interesting thing is that in these two years, uh, the, the amount of uh, wealth for these top percent has increased the same amount as it has increased since 2008. So we have 2008 here, yeah. then it increases about four dashes or about 10 million uh, until 2020. Yeah. And then between 2020 and now, it also increases about four dashes, about 10 million. Yeah, it, it, it has been pretty much a revolutionary time that we've been yes, in, in terms of wealth it, distribution. It's been accelerated with like a factor of four, and that's pretty major. Uh, so that's like a direct effect of what's happened. And the top 1% is going to be able to deal with the outfall being the inflation, of but course, these yeah. people who do not have any extra wealth because of these uh, policies, yeah. they're going to be burned. I mean, I think there will have to be some sort of political solution to this. I mean, I think we can't say like, yeah, that's just how it is. And uh, <laughs> well, we can't just give the bottom half money because no, no, uh, of course, the fiscal uh, budget, uh, you know, won't survive that. Of course, there, there's a lot of challenges, eh? but uh, I think what we also cannot do is just let this stand. No, def definitely, <laughs> but uh, more like a, a, an outsider's perspective, like uh, how the coming years for these groups <laughs> and that group uh, are going to be in terms of what they will lose to the inflation. Yeah. 
Yeah, because of course uh, for the 90%, that's of course more relevant. Yeah, yeah. they will experience more change than the they top 1%. They actually look at uh, their income and outcome every month because otherwise they might not make it. And for them, inflation is going to be an actual problem. While for the top 1%, either way, they will just spend a lot of money. Uh, while they were technically the only ones who uh, reap the benefits, really, yeah, of that yeah. crazy Yeah, uh, we'll spend or we'll also invest a lot, uh, probably. Yeah. Or hold back, you know. Uh. But for instance, in uh, Germany, after that period of hyperinflation, they had the political uh, choice that, for instance, all real estate was refinanced and everyone had a mortgage again, you yeah. know, so, <laughs> yeah, that's easy. so the, the fun times were like uh, solved uh, instantly over. in that way. And I think we are going to see something similar to that uh, happening because yeah. I mean, this, this is not reason, this is not sustainable, I think. Yeah, yeah. but then the question is, uh, is the top 1% powerful enough to stop that from happening? I think a lot of them uh, are also aware that uh, something needs to happen. Yeah, the Warren Buffetts of this know. world, and I mean they are they are aware that. Uh, yeah, but I I hope I I don't think that they're thinking in those terms like uh, refinancing everyone's house again, starting. No, all yeah, no. I mean that 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 was of course in a different uh, time period. Huh? Yeah, I mean, so uh, so it's going to be interesting to see what kind of solution uh, people will come up with. Yeah, yeah. Nowadays, real estate is still important, huh? but uh, we the stock market has become more, far more important, and uh, the solution needs to be something else. But just to give an example of yeah, what yeah. could uh, could be done. Um, yeah, so uh, anything else to discuss about the monetary uh, situation? Well, I'm really looking forward to the April numbers for the Netherlands, because of course in March we topped the charts with 12.1 uh, official CPI recorded inflation. Yeah, so, uh, good times. We're probably, I, I hope it's going to go down, and it probably is, because the gas price has also come down quite a bit again. Uh, and I hope that we're not going to say, oh, this is the end of the inflation, uh, and that we're going to be real and that uh, people are going to realize we're in a dangerous monetary situation uh, and not just blame everything on Putin. Uh, yeah, it's interesting that we have now uh, outperformed the 1970s in yeah, terms of inflation. Well, yeah, so, congratulations uh, to ourselves. Yeah, yeah, and the interest rate is still <laughs> at zero percent. You know, that, that's... Uh, yeah, back then it was a 10 percent or something. Yeah, it, it matched the inflation like it should. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, let's well. see what, uh, what happens. Right. Now let's talk a bit about the uh, fire of uh, Europe. So uh, yeah, we've been making some uh, progress there. So uh, there's also now a weekly uh, newsletter that you can uh, subscribe to. I'll put uh, the link in, uh, in the description. So uh, you can get some more information on uh, yeah, the latest updates, but also a bit of behind the scenes, like uh, how are we uh, progressing? And then I'm also asking uh, the, the subscribers of the newsletter to help me out here and there. You know, so uh, I ask them to, uh, uh, make a comment or perhaps do some proofreading on uh, on the articles. So uh, yeah, just if you want to help out. I'm being paid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding. He's being paid a ridiculous uh, amount. Uh, ridiculous amounts of money. Yeah. Did you um, see that chart? Yeah, we have uh, <laughs> corrected his uh, wages for inflation. So right. it's, uh, I'm a rich man now. It's incredible. So uh, yeah, if you could uh, like and subscribe also to this uh, video uh, or audio if you're listening to it on the Spotify, that's also possible. Also possible. And uh, yeah, join the conversation. Please leave some uh, some comments, and uh, if you want to write uh, your own articles, that's also more than uh, than welcome. 
And I'm uh, going to set up a new podcast season with, I hope, between five and ten uh, other uh, people to uh, to join uh, to join the podcast. So if you are looking and you think it's interesting for you, please uh, reach out uh, as well. I also leave my email address in uh, in the description. And then, uh, yeah, Ferdy, would you like to come back for another time in uh, season Definitely. two? Definitely. And right. I think it would be very interesting if we had like uh, more than two people. In ah, one podcast, okay, to okay, get, uh, even more diverse discussions. Yeah, on. yeah, perhaps. Yeah, Maybe let's uh, let's see it. So we, I already have one person who's joining the next uh, season. So that's that's great. a great uh, that's a great start. Um, yeah. So thank you all for uh, watching and listening. Stay sane. Stay sane, and see you next time. See you next time. Thank you.